0: turn to the New Testament and go to the Acts of the Apostles, go to the book of Acts, and we're going to be in the last few verses of chapter 2 today. Uh, While you're turning there, just a reminder, you will notice a basket of baby bottles. This is a ministry that we do every year to support uh, Hope Women's Services, or you may know them also as Save a Life. And so what we do is that we take these baby bottles, we put our change in them uh, or uh, other bills, whatever the Lord puts in your heart to give, and we bring these bottles back next week and place them right here on the altars. You can pick up bottles at the end of the service today from this basket. There are bottles in the foyers and uh, also in the Welcome Center. There are bo- bottles in our Bible study classrooms. Please take a bottle. And support this wonderful ministry. And let me tell you just briefly why this ministry is so important. In 2019, right at 42.4 million pregnancies ended in abortion worldwide. 42.4. Four million. right here in the United States 4 out of every 10 babies 4 out of every 10 are killed by abortion there are over 3,000 abortion deaths every day now somebody may say later, Pastor, this is a political issue and we shouldn't be dealing with political issues from the pulpit. I might graciously suggest to us today that this is anything but a political issue. It is a spiritual issue. Why? Because it is an Amago Day issue. It is an image of God issue. And so therefore... We pray. I I pray that God will move on the hearts and minds of leaders to overturn Roe versus Wade. That is my prayer. It is my prayer that God will continue to raise up organizations like Hope Women Services and Save a Life to help people understand that that little heart that is beating in the womb is a life created in the image of God and is worthy of life and love and care. And so, I just want to encourage you today, please take a bottle. This is a great ministry, and it's a way that all of us can be involved. Take a bottle, um, put whatever you want in it. You can put a check, uh, you can put uh, dollar bills, I'm sure they'll take them. Uh, You can put change and bring those bottles back next Sunday and let's give a love gift uh, to Hope Women's Services. Uh, You will also note in the bulletin that next month we are hosting a marriage conference. We're going to be hosting it at our Eagle Point campus and um, it is going to be February the 7th and the 8th and um, um, Paul Tripp is going to be leading the conference. It's called Habits of a Healthy Marriage. So if you're young married, old married, uh, if you, matter of fact, I might say this, if you're old married, you've probably picked up some bad habits, right? So you want to lay those down and exchange them for good habits. Uh, the cost is $50 a couple. That includes... Uh, a meal on Friday night, all of the materials. It includes breakfast on Saturday morning, all of the materials. It includes child care if you need it. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you, there's a place for you to sign up. You can call the church office and be a part of this marriage conference, uh, February the 7th and the 8th. Also, um, if you're here today, and uh, since today we're going to be focusing on being a part of a biblical community, if you're not currently in Uh, one of our small groups that meet is at 10 o'clock, then I want to invite you to come to a brand new small group that starts today. It's going to meet in the choir room. It starts at 10.15, and it goes to 10.50. And uh, uh, it's going to begin today, and it is a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. And so I want to invite you to um, get into a biblical community as we study the Word of God together. Uh, one of my favorite authors and speakers is Steve Brown. Uh, you may have heard him on the radio. He is, uh, uh, his ministry is called Key Life, and uh, he's a great writer, preacher, and speaker. He tells the story about flying to Pittsburgh one day when they ran into some major turbulence. Now, Steve Brown makes no bones about the fact that he hates to fly. And when he does, he gets really nervous. Uh, He said he was nervous about this flight from the start. Uh, They were flying into Pittsburgh, and the plane began to experience some major turbulence. The way he described it when he told the story was, uh, if this is a plane, he said it was like that. It was like taking a piggy bank and just shaking it uh, back and forth. He says he sat in his seat he was holding on to the seat rest. He said his knuckles were as white as they'd ever been, and he was, in his words, scared to death. All the while, he's holding on as the plane is shaking fiercely, and he looks over to the right, and there is a lady seated beside him, and she is sleeping, right? She is not shaken by the turbulence at all. In fact, he said she snored throughout the entire flight, When the plane landed, he said, once we pulled up to the gate, her eyes opened up. She began to stretch and just kind of yawn a little bit. And he said, I looked at her and said, ma'am, don't you know that we almost died up there? And he said, you really don't want to sleep through your own death, right? That ought to be an experience you ought to be wide awake for. And he said, not only were you sleeping, but you were snoring throughout the entire flight, and then the lady said something that Steve Brown says, I'll never forget. He said, she simply looked at me and smiled and said, sir, I don't know how to fly this plane. He said, that's all she said. I don't know how to fly this plane. Now, church, that is a statement that reveals, if we will allow it to today, some incredibly spiritual Truth. When it comes to life, none of us in this room are able to fly the plane successfully. We aren't fully sanctified yet, we are not yet in our glorified state. So we still deal with ongoing sin. We still fall short. We miss the best that God has for us. We lack the wisdom and power to navigate life on our own. And that's why this message today is so very important for us in the body of Christ. Here's a good place for us to begin. God gave us the church to help us live in a way that we can't live on our own. This is why God gave us the church. He gave us the church to help us live in a way that we can't live on our own. Now as we are walking through this year of preaching called the gospel above all, last week we asked the question, if the gospel is above all, what should the church be about? And last week we talked about the importance of beholding God in worship. Right? From 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when the veil of unbelief is lifted when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we know what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for our sins being raised from the dead exalted to the right hand of the Father one day coming again for us that when we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ alone the veil of unbelief is lifted away and the glory of God right, is manifest among us we are being changed from one glory to another as we are on our way to being in his presence so today I want to follow up on that and say that we ought to be about belonging together in biblical community belonging together in biblical community. Now if you aren't familiar with Acts chapter 2, the first 41 verses describe the coming of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus who were gathered in Jerusalem after his resurrection and his return to the Father. And when the Holy Spirit of God came in great power, the Apostle Peter stood to preach and he gave a clear powerful, compelling gospel message. And the Bible says that 3,000 people responded with repentance and faith. By the way, how do we know that they responded with repentance and faith? The text says immediately they were baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is that very first fundamental act of obedience that we find ourselves desiring to do once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So here are three thousand people that have come to faith in Christ and they have followed the Lord in believers baptism so the church is born and here is this new church with no pastor no constitution and bylaws no sanctuary an incomplete bible right the new testament isn't even compiled yet And yet here we see them functioning like a spiritual family. Why? Why do we see them immediately functioning like a spiritual family? Well, when Jesus in Matthew 16 told us that his agenda was to build a church, right that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, When Jesus talked about building his church, he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't talking about institutions. He wasn't talking about clubs. He wasn't talking about organizations. He was talking about family. The year that I graduated from high school, one of the most popular songs on the radio was a song by a group called Sister Sledge. And the song was simply entitled, We Are Family. Now you know how old I am, right? We are family. And friends, that's how we should see the church. That's how we should look at the body of Christ. By the way, this is sometimes the reason why you'll find me on occasion getting a little riled up if I see another believer criticizing another believer on social media. Right? And I don't really care what the issue is. Right? You don't ever criticize a member of your family publicly. Right? My wife waits till I get home to rebuke me. Right? That's a good thing. We're family, dear ones. Look around at the people around you those who are here today that had power this morning, and even those who didn't. These are your brothers sisters we are family and so what do we see in this early church in verse 42 it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers now this verse is a summary statement and then the rest of chapter 2 is really elaborating on it or bringing it out in more detail. You can look at it this way. If you're a Star Wars fan, right, in Star Wars, when the movie starts, the first thing that happens after the, you know, the, the, the Star Wars sound is the great big words, you know, that come across the screen, right? It's a, it's a summary statement of kind of where they are. And then what happens? It zooms in on a planet, Uh, Well, that's what we have here. Verse 42 are those giant words going across the screen. And verses 43 through 47 are simply elaborating on it in greater detail. So if we know anything about the early church, if we know anything about this early family of believers, we know that they were a devoted group of people. They were devoted. The text means they were continually devoted. They were dedicated. They were committed. A steadfast, single-minded devotion to a certain course of action. I love basketball, as you guys know. And uh, what's always amazing to me when I watch a game is it's late in the second half and the players have been running like crazy for almost a full game and it's near the end of the game and um, they're breathing heavily and all of a sudden there's a foul and it's a really hard foul and yet that player can stand on that free throw line when the game is on the line and make those free throws almost automatically. And how do they do that? By continual devotion to their task. They do it over and over and over. Parents, can I ask you today, what would your kids say that you are devoted to? If you sit down at lunch today with your children and they were seated around you and you just ask the question, um, what would you say that we are devoted to? What would they tell you? Notice the very first church was committed to four things. They were committed to truth, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And by the way, what were the apostles' teaching? They were teaching Um, the rest of the New Testament. Uh, They were teaching about the life of Christ. They were teaching about what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and why it matters in their lives today. They were devoted to right teaching. They were devoted to right truth. They were devoted to growing. They were devoted to maturing. Right a few years ago, you guys will remember, we used to start every service reciting together the Apostles Creed. Why did we do that? So that it could be sunk into our hearts who we are as the family of God and what we believe. In fact, I'd like for you to do something um, for, for me today. I'd, I'd like for you to stand to your feet. And together, um, we're going to remember and recite together what the Apostles taught. This is the Apostles' Creed. Remember, the word creed comes from a Latin word that simply means I believe, right? We believe. It's called the Apostles' Creed, uh, not because the Apostles wrote it, but it is a third or fourth century creedal statement that is based upon everything that the Apostles taught. And so that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. Creed. We would summarize it in the gospel and say that it is the statement of our belief in Jesus Christ. So, let's just recite it together. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Church, this is what the apostles taught. Thank you. You may be seated. So what we find in this early church is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So transfer that to us today. We are devoted to the word of God, The text goes on to say that they were devoted to community, not just to truth, but to community. This first church was devoted to the fellowship. Now we know that from verses 44 and 45. Right? So as verse 43 describes this supernatural anointing on the apostles, verse 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Right? So being devoted to fellowship means that they were devoted to community. They were devoted to life together. They were devoted to loving and supporting and encouraging one another as the family of God. Right? The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. And this is a word that is not found in the Gospels. In fact, here in Acts chapter 2, this is the very first time this word is used in the New Testament. And it simply means that which is common or commonness, right? In fact, in the New Testament, the common, ordinary language, Greek language of the day was called Koine Greek, right? It was a common language among the people of the day, the street language of the people. So that same word is then transferred to the body of Christ and we understand it that the early church, when they were devoting themselves to truth, they were also sharing together the things of Christ. So they were devoted to truth. They were devoted to community. And then they were devoted to fellowship. Right? They were celebrating what they had in common. They began to know and love one another, right? And so this is the image of community. This is the image of koinonia, that they began to to know and to love one another. Here are 3,000 people, mostly strangers to one another prior to them coming to faith in Christ. They didn't know each other, but now they have something in common. Jesus. I mean look around. <laughs> I mean we come from different places. Right? We have people from South Korea. We have people from Honduras. We have people from the great state of Kentucky. We have Alabama and Auburn fans gathering in the same room. Why? This is why. We have something in common. And that's Jesus. And so as a result of that, what did they do? They, they began to love each other. They were sharing their problems, they were sharing their burdens, they were sharing their needs, they were getting together to talk about their life and how Jesus could impact their life and they were praying for one another. And by the way, what should a small group that meets at 10 o'clock be doing? Should be doing this. It should be a group of people sitting in a room with a cup of coffee and a cookie loving on one another. Sharing problems. Being so open and vulnerable with one another because of the sameness, the commonness that they have in Jesus Christ. That they just share their heart. Hey, I need you guys to pray for me today. I'm struggling. Hey, I need you to pray for my family. Hey, I need you to pray for a child. Hey, I need you to pray for my parents. Hey, I need you to pray for a friend. This is community. Loving each other, sharing problems, sharing burdens, sharing needs, getting together to talk, getting together to study the word of God, getting together to pray. What does it mean to belong together in community? It. This is the kind of fellowship that God always intends for the body of Christ. Listen to me today, dear ones. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and resurrect from the dead to change your life and then tell you, okay, go out into the world and do it on your own. That's not the picture of the New Testament. The picture of the New Testament is a group of people that belong together. uh, Christians sharing one another's lives. Christians sharing one another's thoughts. Christians sharing one another's problems. Christians together bearing one another's burdens. I would tell you, by the way, this is not optional. (laughs) This is essential to the life that God has designed for you to live. You cannot Do it alone. So they were devoting themselves to truth and they were devoting themselves to community. They were also devoting themselves to love. Notice the next phrase there in verse 42. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, but they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this expression, the breaking of bread, is used in the New Testament to refer to a common meal. And it's also used to refer to the Lord's Supper. So the common meals in the early church were called love feasts. They were agape meals. They were love feasts. Uh, um, They were fellowship meals shared by Christians in the early church. In fact, the phrase love feast appears in the book of Jude. right? Right before Revelation. So you can read it in Jude verse 12. When Jude talks about... Uh, false teachers who have crept in to the believer's fellowship pretending. In other words, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. And this is what Jude said. Jude said that they were blemishes at your love feasts. Right? So your agape meals. So when we think about the breaking of bread in the early church, what were they doing? They were gathering together and they were sharing a meal together. But that's not all that they were doing. They were also worshiping. And how do we know that? Well, look at verse 46 and 47. Right? Verse 46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They were worshiping together in their homes. They were praising God and they were having favor with all the people by the way why did they continue attending the temple because jesus christ had changed their lives and they wanted people who were wrapped up in a works righteousness system to know it that's why i think they continually went to the temple so that every time you right something from isaiah was read they could stand up and say hey it's about jesus (laughs) he did it he lived it he's the messiah Here are these verses in 46 and 47 that speak of praise and worship which tells me that the Lord's table was celebrated as a part of a larger community meal. So I I believe when they gathered together uh, for the breaking of bread that it was a love feast. It was an agape meal that they shared together and at the conclusion of that meal they started to worship. And their worship Led them to the Lord's Supper. So when they gathered, there was a sameness among them. There was a common ground among them, and they knew it was because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So they were devoted to truth. They were devoted to community. They were devoted to love. Fourth, they were devoted to prayer. Greatest asset of any church <laughs> prayer. It expresses complete dependence on the Lord for our worship, our guidance, our preservation, really for, for everything. In the Greek, it literally reads, and in the prayers. So I think it's talking about private prayer. It's talking about family prayer. It's also talking about corporate prayer when they gather in worship. By the way, what is the end result of devotion to truth and to community and to love and to prayer? I want you to notice something. I want you to look at verse 41. Look at the preceding verse and the end of the verse in this passage of scripture quickly. Right? Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. And then look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that there is a key word in these verses. There's a key word in verse 41, and then it's repeated again in verse 47. And it is the word added. The Lord added. The Lord added. What happens when believers are devoted to the things that God has designed for our lives? What happens when believers are devoted to the gospel? And as a result, they're devoted to truth and to community and to love and to prayer. What happens? The Lord adds to his church. That's what happens. They knew that it was all about God and his gospel. And so they were devoted to God and his gospel. Let me wrap this up. My time is is about gone. I know that community is messy. And sometimes hard. I mean, it is. People sin. Leaders fail. In in fact, if you look at the New Testament, it's really not a story of an ideal church where everything worked perfectly all the time, is it? I mean, in Ephesus, they had lost their first love. In Galatia, the churches of Galatia had allowed another gospel to creep into the life of the church. And don't even get me started on the mess that was going on in Corinth. Don't picture the New Testament church just a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus as an ideal setting where everything worked perfectly all the time. It didn't. And it doesn't. let me tell you what you see. What you see in the New Testament is a group of Jesus followers spreading his love and his gospel in spite of their brokenness. That's what you see. They worked together to overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Perhaps you will recall that years ago, the Associated Press told the story of Tammy Harris of Roanoke, Virginia. Tammy uh, Harris began at the age of 21 looking for her biological mother. She looked for over a year and could find nothing that would point her to her biological mother. When she lived in Roanoke, uh, she she worked at a convenience store. She had been working there for about six months. One of the uh, workers there at the convenience store, a co-worker, was a lady by the name of Joyce Schultz. Come to find out, Joyce actually only lived about two blocks from Tammy. And they were working together at this little convenience store and Joyce happened to overhear Tammy talk about this search for her biological mother. And she tried and tried and just couldn't find her. And so Joyce said, you know, that's really interesting because for 20 years I've been trying to find my daughter that I put up for adoption." And so their conversations just kind of lingered. They would talk about their searches and how they always came up empty. And one day they just decided for fun, they would bring their birth certificates so that they could compare notes. And there in a 7-Eleven in Roanoke, Virginia, Tammy Harris and Joyce Schultz discovered That they were mother and daughter. Associated Press says that when they looked at the birth certificates, they looked at each other. Tears started pouring down their faces. They grabbed each other, they embraced, and they embraced for the longest time. The article in Associated Press actually concludes uh, Tammy Harris saying It was the best day of my life. Dear ones, every week we rub shoulders with people whom we barely know when we come here and behold God in worship. I just want to encourage you to look around Because the people that are here who are believers in Christ Jesus. They are your dearest relatives. Because you are family now and you will be family in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. So can I just ask you today. Are you experiencing biblical community? Have you found your place of where you belong in the body of Christ? You say, well, Pastor, I'm just not sure how to start. Start today. Start right now today. There are Bible study classes throughout this building starting at 10 o'clock. Actually, they started a minute ago. (laughs) There's a new one down in the choir room. Right? Come and find your place with a body of believers who want to be devoted to truth and to community and to love and to prayer. Let me close by leaving you with this. I believe with all my heart that Christians need community now more than ever. In our fast-paced culture, we have lost biblical community. We live in a time where technology allows us just had a conversation with a guy this week. Technology is his church. And instead of gathering with a local community of believers, he just pulls up a sermon from somebody online. And there's his connectedness. And the sad thing is, in the midst of that, here are people who are more lonely and disconnected than any other time in human history. God created the church to be a family of people who will behold God in worship. And God created a family of people who will love and care for each other and grow in their relationship with Jesus and it's called belong together in biblical community. Are you belonging in a biblical community? If not, please, I beg you, Start today.